UX Podcast Episode 100. Welcome to UX Podcast. I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbom. We can't sing, but we're still balancing business technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. And this is a little bit of a special episode. It is. It's the big one double O. It's our hundredth show. And it's also our fourth birthday. That is crazy. So what we subjected you to in the beginning of the show, which a good chunk of our listeners will understand, a massive chunk of you will have no idea. We just sung happy birthday to ourselves in Swedish. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was beautiful, wasn't it? It was. A, uh, mm. we, we, we I don't know how you convinced me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't either. <laughs> wow. We will, we so will not sing. A hundred episodes. Uh, I actually, we were sitting on a plane when we thought of the idea of doing a podcast together it was a, on a plane ride uh, from uxlx back in 2011 and i would never have imagined that we would do 100 episodes because i had tried podcasting before that and I, I like got to episode eight or something and then gave up hmm. 100 episodes i mean it's kind of a feat actually i'm impressed yeah, I'm, I'm impressed that we've mm. you know it's now been four years and we're still growing our listener base uh, you know we've done 100 shows, about 60 interviews or so with some fantastic people. Mm. Um, we've, 60 interviews. Yeah, plus, plus shows when we've just babbled. Mm. Um, we've, we've, we've probably had, I think it's over 100,000 downloads or streams of the, of the podcast <laughs> over those four years. I love that you've done these stats for this. <laughs> and, uh. and on top of that, it's probably about a million words that we've, we've included in the shows. Mm. How many words is a book? I have no idea. Uh, this is a lot of books. Yeah, um, I reckon. <laughs> I, I have no idea, but I think it's a lot of words. Mm. But there's two presenters, mm. me and you, and a whole lot of knowledge from our wonderful guests and from us, and yes. a good dose of opinions. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what we're going to do for you this show, it's a little bit different to usual. We thought we'd do something a little bit different, given, it's a, given that it's our fourth birthday, our hundredth show. So, we're going to have a clip show. Yeah. We're going to reminisce, basically. Yeah. Going to get a bit nostalgic. But nostalgic, hopefully, in a good way. Yeah, not, not cry too much. <laughs> no. We've tried to go through the archives. Um, given that there's over 60 hours of material, we haven't managed to listen to every single thing again. Oh, no. But um, we've tried to go through and pick some of our special moments or favorite moments from the four years of UX podcast um, and wanted to reshare them with you. Mm. It's been really hard, really tough, trying to search and f find from memory stuff that you know has been said and just not finding it in that episode, but then finding other stuff that you forgot <laughs> that you said and realizing that that was pretty smart back then. <laughs> I've I realized that. I mean, memory is a fantastic thing. Mm. I, I have memories of where we were when we recorded certain shows and what we said, mm. and then I've tried to find them, and I've, re and I've found out that it's not that episode at all. <laughs> It's a completely different episode. No idea how it's stored, really, in my head. But um, it's been fun listening to things. Mm. And we don't, what we've done is, we've, me and Pair have both picked our own clips. Now, 
We haven't told each other what they are. Yep. So we gave each other a challenge to find clips, and I have no idea what James has selected. So it could be that we've picked the same three. Well, that could be the case. Or True. four, or however many it is. <laughs> um, or it could be they're all different it ones. It could be from the same shows. Yeah. I I'm, no I'm gambling that we've picked different ones. I hope so. We haven't talked about who's going to go first. We haven't. Rock, paper, scissors? <laughs> go on, then. <laughs> okay. Um, this well, is great in radio. Go on. <laughs> One, two, two, three. Oh, yes. My, my scissors get blunt by your stone. Excellent. All right, okay. Okay, first clip. So you go first. UX Podcast is supported by Loop 11, an easy-to-use online user testing toolset. UX Podcast listeners, your first full-featured usability test is on the house when you go to loop11.com slash uxpodcast. That's loop11.com slash uxpodcast. So the first clip I got for us is uh, when we were talking to Dave Gray last June. Uh, we were sitting at Espresso House. We were. Episode 75. Yeah. We had trouble finding the place, I remember. Or he had trouble finding. We, we were, were different at yeah. Espresso House. Uh, so Dave Gray is one of my idols. Uh, he wrote the book uh, Game Storming, uh, or co-authored the book. Uh, and... If you've ever been to one of his talks, I mean, he was just blown away by how good he is at explaining stuff. And uh, the talk that we had at this pressure house it delved into stuff that I had not, I wasn't prepared for. I mean, we could, we could have been sitting there for hours, but we, he was talking a lot about um, Agile and how to work with Agile based on that he was uh, out the new book. And uh, he got into talking about the army and the military and the, the U.S. Uh, military in Iraq uh, and this is the clip. Uh, one of the most important things about agility, and the more I talk to people, the more I believe this, is being able to be flexible even in your mind. You have to be able to have many different models and theories about why things are happening and compare them to what you're observing at the same time. And you have mm -hmm. to be able to move and switch between them mm -hmm. because... Uh, any one model is likely to be wrong. And the more you think you know about a situation, the more likely you are to do extreme harm and be mm -hmm. totally wrong. And he said the experts are the, actually the worst, uh, the greatest danger in a volatile, mm -hmm. complex, and unknown situation because their expertise was always built during the last war. During the last iteration. Yeah, during the last iteration, during the last phase of mm. the world. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. so uh, they think they have the answer, and um, but the world changes, and so the situations change, especially when you're entering into sort of unknown or complex mm -hmm. situations. You want to put your models in play. There's a U.S. Uh, military strategist guy in Iraq. He said, "I said, when did this epiphany start for you? When did it ha when, mm -hmm. you know how did you come to this?" He said, "It started around a map." Okay. Right. Two people from. Uh, in the U.S. military, two people on two very different, uh, from very different um, parts of the organization that don't usually talk to each other. They were friends. Yeah. That's why they were talking. Maybe in a coffee shop. <laughs> around a map. And he had the map that he was working from, and he had it on the table. And it was a political map. had political boundaries, districts, police stations, and so forth. Yeah. And uh, his friend said, his friend was in the special forces. And his friend said, let me, because everything they were doing wasn't working, and they couldn't okay. figure out why. Yeah. And his friend said, 
let me draw the tribal boundaries on this map for you. Uh, oh, wow. And they were way different yeah. and overlapping. Mm. Let me show you the centers of power mm. uh, where the tribal chieftains mm. are and so forth. And suddenly, because they had now c- overlapped mm. two models mm-hmm. that were very different, mm. suddenly things started to make sense. And um, at the same time, around the same time, the strategy changed there and uh, was went from being kind of fighting everybody mm. to actually focusing on providing basic services to the population, mm. making sure the mail mm. got through, making people got food, mm. um, making sure that, um, you know, helping the police, mm. the local police. And the whole, this is the, the what the surge strategy is. Sometimes they call it COIN. Uh, anyway, it's a mm. sort of counterinsurgency operation mm. or something or other. But the, basically the, uh, the idea was we're going to, align ourselves with the people who are just trying to provide basic services, picking up the mm-hmm. trash, et cetera. And um, that's when the, the, the tide started to turn there. You're right. I mean, Dave, Dave Gray is a great clip to play because, I mean, he's, oh, he's, he was inspirational when we met him at 2012 in um, UXLX. Yeah. That was a, one of the best workshops I've ever taken part in. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, well, that was way back in. Episode 15, we interviewed him. Um, and then this clip's from episode 75. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, the whole thing about subject matter knowledge, you know, experts. Um, we discussed this a few episodes ago, actually. Um, in conjecture, it was a link show when we talked about mm-hmm. whether you should have experts with previous knowledge in your team um, all the time, if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Right. And um, no, it's not always, because you need that fresh input. Yeah, there's so many facets to what he's saying here. Is, uh, partly the, the part about the experts, that are you sure that you really want an expert? Or do you want someone who's open-minded, who's, who can accept that his model of, uh, of the world perhaps isn't the only true one, mm-hmm. or perhaps it will, can uh, coexist with others and uh, maybe combine them and, uh, and maybe understand just that your favorite model doesn't apply. Um, but there is also the aspect of connecting with other people. They, they were, these were two people that were part of almost the same organization, but they usually didn't talk. They were talking by chance, as it were, here. Mm. But uh, it's a great story, just <laughs> a map. But uh, so realizing that you need input from other people within the organization, uh, you need to talk to subject matter experts who are looking at the same problem, but in different ways. Mm. But there's also the aspect of that. I think that's what drove Dave into doing research into Iraq and, and uh, the people there is that it's a life and death situation. Hmm. So in life and death situations, uh, the, the, how you work is really, really, really important. <laughs> uh, this is something I reflect upon now working with uh, healthcare as well, because I've been in doing risk analysis workshops where sometimes uh, you end up seeing that, okay, so if this happens, what's the worst case? Okay, the patient dies. Oh, crap. If the caregiver doesn't understand how the tool works in this aspect, then um, someone may commit suicide, hmm. <laughs> uh, which is really scary to understand. You sort of have that responsibility, and you need to find stuff. How do I work that out, that problem out of the picture? Hmm. Uh, so, and also the aspect of here was someone sitting, sitting with a map, and did he realize, or he thought he had all the information that he needed to make a decision? When when can we be sure that we have done all the research that we need? Are we ever done doing the research? What's good enough? Exactly. How do I know I have all the data to make a good choice here? Hmm. 
And I think the answer is that you never have the, that. No. I what, think it's, it's a question about what do you trust and how much do you trust yeah. it? So you need who to, do you trust? What do you trust? And, and what's good enough? Exactly. And also that you can never sit down and, or sit back and say that, okay, I've done all this research and now let's go ahead and design and maintain this site for two years. Because you need to be doing the research constantly because there may be some bit of research that will just go completely against what you've learned so far. Mm. And you may you need to be sure that you're not also avoiding truths that don't uh, adhere to your research. And then there's the whole counterinsurgency thing that he's talking about, which is really interesting. But I read up, up on that, but we're not going to go in because that's a whole episode. But, episode just, yeah. <clears throat> but realizing that how, how the military operates uh, with counterinsurgency projects really has a lot to do with how we approach... The psychology side of it. All. Exactly, mm. again. Yeah. How we approach people. And what he was really ending there with was what they, what they realized was that they had to help people get the water and food to the people. Mm. Uh, so, um, again, back to the users. If we like, befriend the users instead of trying to control the users, then a lot of great things are going to happen. Mm. So it's about, for me, it's a, this is very much about remembering to keep moving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is why, what I like to end every episode with. Yeah. I'm actually going to throw in a, a, a clip here now um, from very, very early on. Okay, fun. Um, it's episode five which is when we chatted to um, Jesper Bielund um, about ah, um, gamification. I was hoping you'd choose that. You reckon? <laughs> no, because... No, uh, now, okay, this is one of our very mm. early shows. Mm. So the, the, the sound quality... Mm. <laughs> we, we were very amateurish in the very, very early days yeah. um, when it comes to production. So we, we recorded this first episode with Jesper here in Beanton HQ um, with your Mac on a table yes. and no microphones... Mm-hmm. And we just all talked towards the Mac, yep. um, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is a terrible way of recording sound on it. But we were experimenting, we were learning, yeah. and we tried it. And um, so, so hold out. It's three minutes. This, but and, and it's it's it's, more, it's not our normal sound, but you can still get the message. Um, and Jesper here, he explains what gamification really is. So let's reveal why we actually brought Jesper here. And uh, of course, that's we want to get more listeners to Yuk's podcast. So how do we actually gamify a podcast? So um, to answer that, I have to really, really quickly explain how gamification works. Yeah. And don't worry, if this just takes a minute. The thing is, you'll spend the rest of your life thinking about this. <laughs> so, um, well, you, you each understand rewards. You know, if you do something and you think that's, uh, that's interesting, you get a reward. That's very simple. But what you want to do with gamification is you want to make these rewards really, really um, fat. You want to get these rewards often. And you want to make the pacing of getting rewards interesting. So you can't just get rewards in a linear space. You know, you can't get rewards each time you click a button, you get a reward. That will be really boring. This is like the diagram with the flow. Yeah, exactly. The middle exactly. And ability you, and want to, you want Peter, people to enter into flow, which means that they'll always know how to get the next reward, and but they have to work a bit to get that reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and getting that reward can't be completely uh, transparent. You have to have some kind of margin for error, some kind of analog that makes it skill interesting. Mm. Interesting for you to try to get that reward because the reward in itself doesn't make it interesting. It's the, it's the achievement of trying for it that mm. makes it interesting. So what you want to make is actually a podcast that is probably really short, 
<laughs> Congratulations, yes. try to do that. Um, with, with uh, really good points. And probably started off with something like a, a hard problem or a hard question or something and then add in all the information they need to to unlock or understand that question. Oh, I was just going to say that, um, yeah. wouldn't an idea then be for to get access to the next episode of the podcast? No, 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 no. Now you're trying to make it a game. Right. So that's not the same. This is good. This is yeah. nice. So what you want to probably make is that uh, they can choose their reward, but the reward is understanding. The reward isn't the next episode. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see, right. So what you do is, if you start up with the question, yeah. what is gamification? Mm-hmm. And then we talk a lot about the foundations of mm-hmm. gamification and they have to make up their own minds at the end of the show. That will be really rewarding. But for people who don't care about the problem, they'll turn off. But that's how a game works. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll might check in for the next episode or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, to make this reward quick enough, you're going to have to do this really fast. So we're talking about a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best reward, the most interesting reward, the, uh, the only reward that that makes um, anything uh, um, uh, special or whatever is uh, is the um, uh, sex <laughs> sex yeah no it's the um, it's the moment of understanding okay. yeah uh, so that's that's that was that is what fun the is. eureka moment like yeah, yeah yeah exactly the eureka moment mm-hmm. is what fun yeah. is so that's why you can't make it digital you can't mm-hmm. just switch it on and off mm-hmm. because if you do that there's no eureka moment you always know how to do it it's not fun yeah but if it's analog yeah. you can always almost get there and then you mm-hmm. get there and then it's like yes mm-hmm. eureka i got it oh, I so ideas are yeah. actually the best game right ever yeah that's a smart dude and i love how he he says no 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 when you try to <laughs> I try to it's give an example su- of gamification, um, <laughs> and that's excellent because I mean, yeah, always there people have so many preconceptions of what gamification is, and mm-hmm. we talked a lot about this on the show. Uh, what is gamification? And he—that's uh, I think that's an excellent example that he's giving. It's that eure- eureka moment when you learn something new. You just—it's something that's really hard to do, and you manage to do it. Mm-hmm. But finding what's hard to do for people—it's challenging as well. Yeah. The one of the main reasons I picked the clip from that early show is because you know the, talking about gamification or rather what isn't gamification in that episode has stuck with me for the whole four years mm. and, I, and you, I realized from from talking to Jesper then that most of the time when we talk about gamification and gaming things we're actually doing a real bad job of it and we're making a mess as we yeah. talked in the episode about that um, a lot of situations, most situations that we come across in our line of work in digital, they're actually not, they're, they're just messing with people and causing problems more than they are causing answers with it, with gamification. Mm. You know, you're getting fans for your Facebook page, one of the examples you used in the show. Yeah. But you're getting, you know, giving away an iPad, I think it was mm. the example. So then you've got them including the game because they wanted an iPad and that was the buzz, that was the thing that was challenging them. And they do anything they will to get that prize. Mm. Whereas that wasn't what you wanted, that wasn't your goal. Exactly. <laughs> so, but it was, um, um, mm. it, it's, it's f- that buzz from doing something um, is what drives you. Dr- doing something new and solving something. It's that that gives you a kick. And I, exactly. And that also, as always, the more things we talk about and relating to psychology, we realize that everything is relating to, to psychology. Mm. So the challenge of, uh, of uh, accomplishing something that you thought was too difficult for you that's the real game. Yeah. And also mm. realizing that 
why we do what we do is mm. that we're we're gamifying ourselves. Yeah. That the things that the projects I enjoy most and the things I enjoy most is when I've cracked something. Same with like people like programming. Yeah. Yes. They they love it. They mm. like programming. Programmers like programming because when mm. they solve that bit, they get it to do what you've expected it to do. You feel great. That's a little kick. Or even when you you sit up all night uh, coding and and it doesn't work, and you spend two hours looking for a semicolon and put that in, and and suddenly everything's on the screen yeah. as it should be. Eureka! Yes, you've got your buzz. You got your kick. Yeah, moved on to the next level. Mm. Next one up is Lisa Welchman, uh, ah. which is also a quite recent uh, guest on our show. It is, and I kind of I I I want I was going to pick her. But I, I didn't in the end. It's okay. great that you picked her, because I loved our chat with her. Yeah, it was excellent. And I, I <laughs> it's funny, because I thought it was going to be a bit more boring than it was. Oh. Yes, I, I did. See, whereas I was really excited yeah. before we, um, we talked to her. Because Lisa, <laughs> and she countered this so, so good on the show as well. She's an expert in, in digital governance and, you know, putting guidelines into place to help an organization perform, perform better, uh, essentially. Uh, and she had a wonderful reaction to standards being being boring and limiting creativity, which is usually what people think about when they think about standards. Uh, and she she talks about actually, I'm going to play that clip. <laughs> I just think that's wrong. Let's just put, you know say that firmly. In fact, it's mm. it's violently wrong mm. because I think people often confuse um, freedom of expression with uh being able to do whatever you want so mm. we, the one the output of a of a digital governance framework really the practical output is that an organization is developing digital within a standards based framework mm. right so that everyone knows what the standards are so most people say oh i can't be creative because we have standards <laughs> and i and i say no actually or you're slowing me down because I have to go through this bureaucratic thing. You can be agile and have standards. In fact, the agile development environment is standards-based, right? I mean, there are rules about how to go through Scrum. There are rules about the roles and responsibilities. It's highly governed, right? It's highly governed so that things can move quickly. The World Wide Web operates over a standards-based framework, and we're all just totally riffing and doing exciting things like that. Plants and animals and human beings have a standards-based framework. Mm. We have DNA structure. <laughs> um, nothing doesn't operate in a standards-based framework, yeah. and yet we have all this diversity. So when people, you can tell I'm passionate about mm. this because I'm just like, you're just wrong. Yeah. You're just wrong, Pat. I love how <laughs> she starts out with just violently wrong. Violently wrong, that's a phrase I'm going to start using. And, and just she just kills it. You see, it's like humans, plants, it's all standards. Come on. Uh, well, that was the, that was the fun part of of uh, what I wanted to share from her, uh, from our interview with her. Uh, the other one is now about uh, when we go into organizations, we we tend to think about, okay, so how do we fix digital? Mm. But what Lisa is saying, you don't fix digital, you fix the organization. Yeah, and here's the clip. You know, we'll go in for two or three days of discovery, and on site, and we'll sit down, and they'll start, you know, sort of either defending or explaining why their website's so bad, right? Mm. We, know, we know this paid the information architectures, and I always say to them, I, you know, sort of don't care. You know, I, <laughs> I can see your website. It looks bad, you know, that sort of thing. I want to talk about you and your team, 
right? And they're yeah. a little bit taken aback. Like, so I want to know how it got like that, why it gets like that, what is mm. happening on operationally that that kind of stuff gets online. Let's fix that because then we fixed the source of the problem and hopefully we can tune mm. that. And it's, you know, never 100%, but it can certainly get better. And we've seen it get better, right? We've seen it get better inside organizations where people begin to understand that, no, that team designs the user interface, right? <laughs> Not mm. all the teams across yeah. the world. Or they might say, yes, we've decided to decentralize that and it's okay for every country to have their own homepage style, but it's intentional, right? It's not unintentional, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that there's just a difference. I just love this. It, it kind of blew me, blew my mind when she said it, because it's sometimes obvious that there's a problem with the organization, but it's not probably that obvious to UX people that you shouldn't attack the digital well-seeing of the company. You should attack how they're actually working. And so uh, usually if people have an understanding of of goals and uh, how why you're working together and what the company's doing, then people work hard to get there. But if you just tell them what, what to do or just commanding them essentially, uh, then you won't get motivated people. So, yeah. And also the, the when you a website or a digital product, um, just redesigning it yeah. isn't enough as she points out there, that if, the, if a certain group of people have worked with something and it got to the point it did, mm. then you just you redesigning it and doing the perfect mm. UX mm. isn't necessarily going to help because you've still got the same gang of people who are going to drive this car you've Exactly. Produced. And, and that's they're going to that, drive it into the same ditch. And that, <laughs> that, that, that's what ten, it tends to happen, is that you go in, you help people, and then two years later, they're back where they started because they're the same organization still. Mm. So you have to change the people and I think to change the people, you have to teach the people mm. about why they should be working in a specific way. Uh, and not tell them what to do, but teach them why. And I give them an insight into why one way working is better than another. You have to prime them for their eureka moment. Yeah. So it's, there's a difference between ma manipulating people and informing people is mm. what I tend to get back to is, uh, is something we talk about a lot. But if if what I've realized is when I talk about accessibility, for example, uh, I go out and I tell developers, this is what you should do. And then uh, they don't <laughs> because they don't like to be told what to do. No. Uh, but when I start working with developers more closely and I show them stuff and I show them what happens if they code one way or another, uh, not telling them to do anything, mm. but then they start doing the right thing because they understand why they're doing it. Mm. And that's essentially what you have to think about in organizations as well, that people have to understand why they're doing stuff. Uh, so if you have a bad website, it's not because people don't want to do the good stuff. It's because they just don't know how to. It's kind of like parenting. <laughs> it is. <laughs> kind of, yes. In a, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, was, um, that was our chat with um, Lisa Welshman from episode 92. Okay. Which was um, February this year. Yes. We'll meet her in a few weeks at UXLX as well. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> My second clip is also another reasonably recent one. Mm -hmm. um, it's episode 95. Okay. Um, with um, Ethan Marcotte. Ah, uh, okay. Father of responsive web design. Exactly. Beep. Um, we interviewed him um, before Business to Buttons um, a couple of months ago. Now, um, he was incredibly humble. 
mm-hmm. a really nice guy to talk to. We had some we had some great chats with him during the um, the course of this podcast episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but the um, there's one clip I've pulled out now, which um, it's it's a great point about how we've got to work going forward now. Because um, responsive is in some ways, as we've learnt, almost already behind us. Oh yeah. In the way that yeah, in the way yeah. that it was kind of first um, looked upon. Yeah. So this is a clip of um, Ethan talking about what's next, kind of. I think for me, it's like I've stopped thinking about breakpoints as like being page specific, and you know, as I've been doing more complex responsive interfaces and working on like some responsive web applications, um, you know, more and more I'm building basically like a, a library of design patterns and modules that can be sort of like rearranged to build these more complex, uh, complex UIs. And any one of those elements is probably going to have different breakpoints than a lot of its cousins. Um, like mm-hmm. a masthead, for example, on a site, uh, the Boston Globe masthead, just one public example probably had like six or seven unique breakpoints when it launched. Um, whereas like the content well on an article page maybe had two. Um, okay. Oh. That's interesting. So this is, this is very interesting. So this is, so you're moving, I suppose, more towards the atomic design that Brad, um, that Brad Frost is going on about, um, uh-huh. I guess with the way you're breaking it down into responsive chunks. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I've been, yeah, I think, uh, this more like modular approach to breaking up UIs that's been going on for mm. a couple of years now. And I think that mm. atomic design is a really great methodology for managing, um, you know, a pattern library, for example, for me, at least like thinking about the breakpoints as they apply to those individual modules really helps you tune again, the points at which your responsive design adjusts to the content you're designing. You know, so you're not really thinking about device viewports or the widths of specific screens. You're really thinking about mm. when this line length gets to around 20 M's, when it exists in this part of the layout, we're going to introduce a change. That could be a type change. That could be a layout change. But it's really stepping away from viewports and really just looking at, okay, this particular element has some edges and seams to it. How can we sort of like use media queries to kind of defend the integrity of the content we're designing? So, so Ethan sums it up there for me with saying that we're, you know, pa- we don't think in pages anymore. You can't think in pages. You've got to break it down yeah. um, into modules. Um, and we've got to, to think about how that module works. Mm. Um, and um, that's so true in so many different ways from a UI point of view, um, content point of view, little chunks here and there. Yeah. Um, we, 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 we can't presume it's going to be in a, this layout, this is going to be like this. Yeah, if there's anything history has taught us now, this short history of the web, is that we have no idea what the viewports are going to be like in the future in just two years' time, maybe. Mm-hmm. Is everybody going to be using, uh, like, a watch to surf the web? Probably not, but you know what I mean. Uh, so, of course, and this, what do you what do you mentioned in, in the clip as well with Brad Frost and, and what, what do you call it, atomic design? Yeah, when we interviewed yeah. me, I talked about mm. um, atomic design being a, yeah. another way of mm. talking about uh, modular responses. Because people are extremely focused. I mean, I, I, every design project I work with, of course, everybody's talking about responsive. Everybody's extremely focused on breakpoints for specific devices, mm. and that's what they're testing with. And uh, if you're more content-focused, then you're... What he was saying, I love what he's saying about line length. Mm. So here's a module, and if the line length breaks uh, or is shorter than this, then just break it. 
it's not based on screen size, but based on something else, based on readability. Yeah. So we sh should change stuff based on UX and usability, yeah. uh, which I love. So instead of, instead of looking down upon this mythical page, we're actually switching to stand from the viewpoint yeah. of the of the of the core, the kind of the mm. thing itself, the title, the the text, the mm. the button, the menu, mm. and saying, right, I'm the menu. Do I feel like I work anymore? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 basically putting mm. your hand up and, and shouting, mm. oi, I'm I'm broken now. Mm. Let's do something else. Yeah. Everything else around Shape it shifting is shifting. Yeah. Based you're on a, context, you're showing yeah. respect for individual elements mm. rather than kind of just staring at the crowd. At the same time, what's that going to do with uh, uh, consistency? Are people because that's what people talk a lot about. What do I expect to happen as a user as well? Mm. If there's lots of stuff going on now that doesn't go on on other websites, I may con get confused by just that. So there's a fine line still between consistency and different aspects of the website mm. behaving as if. Mm. Yeah. Although now I'm actually I'm thinking about your Dave Gray clip mm -hmm. and this. Yeah. About kind of befriending the 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 local population, yeah. To kind of you know, oh yeah, <laughs> to get on side. So mm. you create consistency mm. almost. So you can cr you create victory by mm. getting you know, helping people with the basic tasks. Mm. So same thing there. If you're making sure that well, the menu still works, mm. even in it's a, a different situation, mm. then you're probably helping with consistency in a bigger sense. Mm. Have you heard about the grid? The grid. The grid. Okay, so we're not talking 960. <laughs> no, right. no. It's a new service, uh, thegrid.io, oh. uh, that I signed up for uh, way back, six months ago. It still hasn't released, of course. Hmm. Uh, they're promising that all you have to do, it's like a CMS, a content management system. All you have to do is enter your content, enter your pages, and it will do the rest. Fantastic. It will I'll go home now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it will resize everything based on almost like what, what Ethan's talking about, based on context and what, what device the person is using, but not based on specific breakpoints. But uh, each individual component, of course, adapts to itself. Even uh, what people struggle with when they have images and responsive images is you're just resizing the image to a smaller image. This one actually can recognize faces in images. So on a smaller screen, it will focus and actually crop the image to focus on the faces and not have the whole image resized to a smaller image. Mm. I kind of like that idea. That's a, yeah. Algorith no algorithm I, based yeah. web design. I um, have no idea how this is going to work in practice, but <laughs> interesting take on marketing automation. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, so this is an interview from August uh, of 2014 last year, uh, episode 79. We talked to Alyssa Briggs uh, at Intuit about uh, app bundling and unbundling. And this was when uh, there was a lot of talk about what Facebook and what were the other apps. Uh, they were unbundling. Well, Foursquare, we had Foursquare and Facebook. Facebook mm. were unbundling their messaging. Right, and Google Drive as well. Where they yeah. had the docs and the spreadsheets that were becoming different apps. Foursquare and, and Swarm mm. split the product up. So all of a sudden, and Facebook had the messenger app, so all of a sudden you had to download more apps for the same service, basically, that you had one app for before. Um, it turns out that uh, Alyssa, where she, Alyssa works at Intuit, they had actually gone the other way. Uh, but what actually caught my attention at the very end of that interview uh, was something she said about how the way f our phones are designed actually doesn't allow for the best user experience. 
I think one of the, the things I like to think about is what if, um, say, folders on, uh, on iOS were sort of like, that is the central hub of your suite of products. Mm-hmm. And then it's almost like a level of navigation to be going into these different apps or features. You know, that's the sort of thing where Apple could really help developers and designers to create something that feels like um, a connected family of experiences, but ease up, make it a better experience switching between things. Today, having that mm-hmm. animation that comes and kind of owns your screen before moving you to the next app is very disruptive. It really feels like you lose your sense of place. But even mm-hmm. something as subtle as a slight animation tweak or um, faster caching and load time could really improve that experience and make it feel much more cohesive moving across different apps. So my big takeaway from this, or what I actually started think about, thinking about is... I mean, in the early days of web design, we were always thinking about, do we design for Netscape or Internet Explorer? And we had all these browser constraints. And we don't talk a lot about the constraints we have today. We say that everything's possible and there are standards. Uh, But in the phone world, we're actually adapting to operating systems and the browsers, and we are still adapting to browsers. So there are lots of limitations applied there uh, that really need to consider and sometimes they're just not built for what we're trying to achieve we're not apparently as as we've talked about early on we thought that we were going to be moving more towards cloud-based web apps uh, internet-based web we still aren't there people are still talking about creating apps and they're stuck on these phones that are limited by the number of apps a user can use they're limited on the options for input that you have and so um I, my sense is that we talk too little about this in, in the broader context, and, and we get so many insights, the types of insights that Alyssa is sharing with us uh, about how the bundling worked really well for them. How can we get those insights shared back to the people who create the devices that we need every day to access the internet? We're really dependent on these companies, mm-hmm. and how do we get these insights that we all have as UX designers back to these companies and how do we and how do we influence, in, influence the platforms yes. that we're forced to use uh, so the the, the mm-hmm. internet is mm-hmm. one thing the, well, well http mm-hmm. or the, the the web that's that's a platform that we use yeah and it's very open mm-hmm. it's 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 mm-hmm. developed jointly by the community as exactly large. yeah um but you're right when it comes to the the closed operating mm-hmm. systems of of, of android mm-hmm. or ios um then then the feedback mechanism there is um more obscure and more and more i mean countries are getting dependent on its citizens uh, going online to do all these kinds of services, be it having contact with the government or having, I mean, doing their banking, reading. Everything that we do is now on the internet and on these devices. And perhaps we should be having more demands on how these devices should work. Uh, it's more, it's, I don't have any answers. I'm throwing it out because I'm realizing that they are essentially deciding from I'm mean, thinking about accessibility, they're deciding yeah. how we should access stuff. Mm. So should we have legislation uh, deciding uh, what these devices need to uh, adhere to to for us to accept them, or do we, uh, I don't know, do we subsidize certain features because people need them? Yeah, you're right. It's incredibly good. Mm. One thing that I thought about a lot in recent times is, you know, I had to change phone mm. this year, not because my old phone wasn't working, but because I just didn't have enough space in it anymore. I couldn't install, I couldn't have all the apps on it that I, I actually felt I needed. 
Wow. So I had to upgrade phone to, yeah. to get more space mm. to install the apps I wanted. So it started, I started thinking about, you know, okay, how, if I installed all the apps for all the services and brands that I interact with mm. during, say, a year, how big a phone would I need? Does the phone exist? That's really interesting because so, we're talking about so many times today that space is not a problem. Obviously, but it, it is. is. It is because, still because it, mm. you know manufacturers are keeping costs down, or they're trying. Mm. They're taking you know, mm. with Apple. Mm. I mean, they're doing price points. They're deliberately making s- mm. inadequate devices with 16 gig or whatever it is, yeah. which is utterly useless. But they're doing that to kind of get you in, so that you you jump up a level rather than cast you know throw it away. Yeah. But going on from your point about government and government services, what happens when we reach the point where? the government services or the required services that you have to use or need to use, mm. those apps can't fit onto a phone <laughs> together yeah. as, as, a, as a whole. You know, yeah. they're all individual departments. But if you put them together, mm. what if they basically cripple your phone because they're too big? Mm. So again, <laughs> cloud-based apps. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. That is really interesting. And, uh, something we'll have to bring someone in to interview about that. <laughs> yeah, plan for the future. <laughs> My third clip. Actually, it's going to end up being a couple of clips. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's episode. You're cheating. Oh, I know. I've got so many clips. We're going to be here all night. Um, <laughs> it's episode 56. I said, you're all going, of course, episode 56. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. No, well, episode 56 was um, our um, collection of interviews from Conversion Jam 3. Okay. Now, I actually, I think that episode is probably one of the, one of the pivotal yeah, it's a pivotal episode of UX podcast. We interviewed, um, we interviewed four people, I believe, for that. Um, was it three speakers? I think it was three. Four, speakers. three or four. Brian Massey, Craig Sullivan, Natalie Nahai, and Tone Vesseling. Yes, and we ha- we learned an awful lot about psychology. And we've we've learned an awful lot about psychology from Conversion Jam, all the speakers right. we talked to. But I think mm. just this show, mm. we had we had such a great collection of them, and mm. that we got really good insights from all the people we talked to. Mm. Um, I'm actually going to pull out, first of all, I'm going to pull out um, a, a clip from um, from Natalie, Natalie mm. Nahai, the web psychologist, um, where she talks about um, culture. And we discussed yeah. about how, how challenging it was to make an international, well, to make international websites mm. with several languages. What I didn't consider really when we talked about it then mm. was what you brought up today, mm. the cultural aspect. And that this is another dimension that makes yeah. it even more yeah. complicated. I mean, I think it's one of these things where you can either think, oh, it's another thing I have to contend with. Mm. Or you can do the, the risk-taking thing, which is, right, we need an overhaul. Let's start from a foundation of psychology, which mm. looks at the culture and the individual. Mm. And then we make a decision, and that makes it smarter. So mm. instead of thinking oh, how is this headline going to look? You think, right, what are we communicating? Because that's mm. the only thing we're doing online. Every chance we get, we communicate. We're a social species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you say, okay, well... How are we best going to translate this, com- this, this piece of text that communicates the message more clearly? Mm. Then the focus isn't on just the design. It has to be on the meaning. Mm. And your starting point is different. Therefore, mm. you'll accommodate it. Yeah. So it's kind of bringing everyone around the table with a common goal and a common foundation. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, that's when it gets the best result. You get a team in the country mm. that you're going mm. for. You say, right, these are the things that we can't budge on. This is the core value. This is the logo of the brand. Yeah. You go and make it relevant. This is the meaning. If you can translate your meaning and your goals mm. to that agency that's on the yeah. ground in that company, 
you'll get the best results with the least amount mm. of fuss. Because all the assumptions we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, mm. um, they, they will already be doing them subconsciously. Yes, you don't have exactly. to tell them how to do it. Mm, yeah. So if you are bootstrapped, so find a freelance designer, find mm. a student. Like mm. You can really do it on a shoestring. Yeah. And of course, it's not going to be... The conversionists would absolutely kill me for doing this. <laughs> but they, you know, you're not necessarily testing it with a big budget, but you will get a lot further, a lot quicker on a mm. lot less investment. Now... Natalie, I mean, you've really got to listen to the whole clip of, of the whole chat with her then, because um, Natalie then really did open me up, uh, my eyes up to, to the whole aspect of, of culturability mm. um, and multinational, because I mean, I've worked with multinational sites over the years, and I, I hadn't, you know, we'd, we'd really tried to get stuff, you know, we'd do stuff centrally, we design here in Sweden, and then we'd push it out to mm. all the, the local countries, and they'd implement it, you know, country by country, and Really, no, it has to be the other way around. You have to just kind of, going back to parenting and giving people the tools to do the job, you you have to get the framework in place to allow the people who know the customers and the culture best yeah. to interpret it and do the correct job in that area. This That's is exactly country. what Dave Gray was, was saying. This is exactly what yeah. Lisa Welshman was saying, that you, you define the framework, but you don't tell people what to do. You give them the mandate to do what they're best at. So you have a common goal and common foundation is what Natalie's saying. Uh, and then they so this is it. And then now go do, go do your stuff. We trust you. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's getting talking to people. Yeah. Yeah. Cultural and mm. psychological foundation. Yeah. Um, it was needed to, in, in, order to, in order to obtain the best results. And, mm. and Natalie said, um, that different cultural groups employ different usage strategies when using the same interface. Mm. That's different cultures and different genders as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so go talk to the local people. Go talk to the people who understand mm -hmm. the target group. Mm. It's really interesting. Yeah, and I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, but what we're saying is that here as a group of UXs or whatever mm. in, in Stockholm, Sweden, mm. we are not going to do the best job of designing um, a, a product or a website for a Japanese audience. Yeah. As an example. Because I, I don't know anywhere near enough about that culture and their psychological um, you know, the psychological mm. methods and understanding of mm. that group of people mm. to do a good job. I need somebody with that um, knowledge. Mm. I do need someone with expert matter, subject matter <laughs> knowledge in that case. Yes, but not necessarily. No, not an expert at culture. web design, but exactly mm. an expert Cultural on the insight. people. Yeah. Uh, there was a great quote in there. Uh, Natalie said, "Focus not on the design, but on the meaning." Yeah, uh, I think that's beautiful. It's what people are thinking always. Okay, so how does this look, and what are the breakpoints? And mm. but they're not focusing, as we always talk about, on the content mm. and what the purpose of the content is, and what you want people to do after reading the content. Mm. Reminds me of uh, quite often you get people. You know, you, I, I put the question, "What's the goal with this web page?" Mm. And they go, "Oh well, we just want to inform oh, our employees or inform the mm. reader of something." Mm. No, you don't. <laughs> It's never about just informing. Yeah. You, you, you're informing them for a reason. Mm. Why are you informing mm. them? Why, why are you doing this? Then stuff? you have to go back to why finding. So mm. ask why. You ask, have to ask why about seven times. Then yep. you maybe get to the answer. Yeah. Couldn't leave. I've got to include another clip from this, um, this show. Um, because um, we don't I'll, I'll let you play like that because that's okay. It's the same, <laughs> it's, it's the same episode. Uh, it is the same, it's the same episode. And it's it's, it's um, some really good stuff. But Brian Massey, um, he... There was an excellent little, it's a short clip, um, but it's, um, it's powerful mm. and, f and very, uh, and it gives you a lot to think about. So 
Actually, I'd, I'm not going to talk about this clip. I think we just play it and move on. You can actually paint more pictures with words than with images, or it's easier. So we can move characters around and create pictures. So let me give you an example. Um, Ernest Hemingway is credited with writing the shortest story ever. Six words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sale, baby shoes, never used. So those six words mm, yeah, right. jump into our brains yeah. and they pull out memories of babies, mm. tragedy, mm. our children. Oh, my gosh, what if that happened to me? Six words, most of it unsaid. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty vivid image. Powerful stuff. Great clips. I'm just amazed that we found clips. That I'm actually – people are not yeah. going to believe mm. how good a th- um, kind of – continuality and thread we had on those clips i know we could refer from one clip we could refer back to another clip is really interesting mm. we possibly have well because it's a joint journey we've mm. done together mm. so we've obviously had similar insights during those we shared insights during those four years yeah probably yeah <laughs> well, we have yes well we have <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> there's um there's other there's quite a few things we've learned from um, podcasting for this amount of time yeah and um, sound quality, we hope, has improved over the years. We know it has. But it's still a challenge being consistent with it is, it's, it's challenging, especially when we do we – we're not in the same place and we interview over Skype. But there's so, so much going on there. Mm. Uh, or when, like when we were interviewing Natalie Nahai uh, about UX and sex, and she had people next door oh, yeah, drilling an, and, apartment, and banging. Yeah. yeah, they had builders in. Yeah, you yeah. were jo- joking about uh, her neighbors having a lion, and she, she got embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the one of the um, talking about some of the feedback we get from the show. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we've been told is that we don't argue enough. Yeah, true. Which is true. Um, But we've um, tried sometimes (laughs) to argue and just we we agree too much. I don't know what it is. Well, no, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's just that we we're we're open to 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 suggestions. We're open to to ideas Mm -hmm. from it. But anyway, we we I have found a clip of when we did argue. Okay. Um, it's episode 66, mm. James and Pass Stunt mm. UX, where, which was a link show. Uh, a link show is where we talk about three articles that mm. we found and discuss them. And um, one of the articles, um, we just didn't quite agree. It's the delete one, isn't it? It's yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> the delete one. You kind of surprised me by, yeah. Let's play it. Okay, so... Well, the title said it's something. You you don't you want to make sure that people don't accidentally delete something, which is sort of a pain. Mm. Uh, so you have a delete button. What are you going to do? And a lot of the times you have this confirmation window are that says sure? yes or no. Mm. Uh, Gmail solves it, of course, by making it possible to actually go back. Uh, in this case, if you actually need to delete something and you want to make sure that people actually want to delete it, have them put some more effort into that not just answer yes or no, which could go wrong, have them actually type out type out the word delete in a box, in a text input box, and then click OK. Which is perfect. I mean, if it's important information, you want to make sure people don't delete it, make it harder for them to do it. I think it's, I think it's bullshit. You think? Uh, awesome. I thought you would be coming to this, actually. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't buy it. I mean, I just think it's... I just think it's... Um, it's just irritating. Yeah, I mean, like Mailchimp. I mean, I'm, I know that from there as yeah. well. Like, you have to type in um, "delete" or whatever. I think mm. you have to type in a word in capital letters, um, you know, while standing on one leg and 
tapping your head and rubbing no, your tummy. No, you just have to I mean, type now, in the word. You the just have is, to type no, in the word. This is a, and you know exactly what you're doing because you're typing it. But this is a this is a this is a solution looking for a problem or such. I mean, you, you mentioned the undo. I know, I did. What? The, why are we messing around with this complex prattling around, making mm. people type in w- the equivalent of a of an eight letter password with uppercase and lowercase letters and numbers in it? When you could actually you just have to implement undo. You have to see it as a design what? pattern, and, and undo is really complicated to implement. Why? Because now, now this is interesting because now we're actually. Why? Why is it complicated to implement? Because yeah, because people are not uh, familiar with it. Uh, most people aren't. And ha- pushing delete and realizing that somewhere you're supposed to find a button that says, oh, I can undo what I just did. Uh, that's harder than people for actually to make sure that they're confident enough that when they're deleting something, they're del- deleting it. And and you know, I think it's contextual, depending on uh, how valuable this information is. And in my case... Uh, where you're, where you would be deleting a whole sort of like a story, twenty chapters with five uh, steps in each and stuff like that. You delete that whole thing, and you'd have to make sure that there, if there's an internet, you lose internet connectivity, uh, and you want to bring it back. I think, I think we're 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 forgetting the problem here, right? What you're trying, yeah. what in this, mm-hmm. right? What you're trying to do, you're trying, mm-hmm. you're trying to just. You, you, you're trying to move something out of you. You're effectively, mm. you don't want something to be, for example, in a list anymore. Deleting it mm. is actually, a lot of the time, mm. it's not really relevant. I mean, if I'm, I'm not actually, I'm not actually physically interested in it being physically shredded and, and put through a blender or whatever. I'm actually just don't want to see it anymore. So, mm. so why, so why do we even have to delete? In the back, you know, as in, yeah. you know, implement undo, make it easy to make something mm. move out of the way, make it, make it possible for users to retrieve stuff on, yeah. at that moment when they've realized, oh, no, mm. I didn't mean to do that. Mm. I've been annoyed by MailChimp the couple of times when I've had mm. to use it that they've made it so much harder for me to delete when I actually am fully aware of what I'm doing and I want to just do it. I'm, I've actually liked liked it when I first saw it in MailChimp, as uh, it, like I said. Oh, yeah. Because it made me think again. Yeah, but I don't delete. That's, that's another thing. Yeah. In, in Gmail, I delete all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. In MailChimp, very, very seldom, mm. actually. And in our in our uh, system, you'd be deleting maybe once a year. Yeah, writing that code to actually do what you're saying would be a lot more work than to implement this. Uh, and and I love that we're disagreeing on this. I actually now that we're talking about it, I remember so the first time. I remember actually <laughs> writing an article about this when you I was comparing it to a regular trash can. Yeah, and uh, you'd throw something in, and the trash can would ask. You, are you sure you want to do this before you can are actually allowed to toss it in? Which of course is what you're saying is. You don't want to do that. You want to be able to toss it. And oh shit! I w- didn't want to toss yeah. that. I want to bring it back up. Perhaps, yeah. Mm. We we, we got to mm. remember the the, the context mm. that when you press mm. that delete button, you actually just you often just want it out of mm. the way. So let them get it out of mm. the way. And then when it comes mm. to the point that you've realised you're in a you're in a situation mm. where God, I needed that. Then we deal with that situation. Mm. Then I have to say that the the data I'm working on now is uh, patient data, mm. journal, health journal information. Mm. It's very. There's a lot of legal stuff I'm going on here. I'm not saying there are not laws that might get in the way here. There, in but reality, I buy that there's going to be situations where this we is can't great. Do it. I love this. But we should argue more often. We should find more articles like this. I was. I was kind of a bit mean to you. You were being extremely annoying. I can't. I didn't remember that you were that <laughs> annoying. I actually really did. <laughs> pick a fight on you. That uh, I think you. It's still a really good discussion, though. Yeah. Undo versus delete. And I still maintain that I'm right. And I still maintain yeah. that I'm right. 
we should talk about this more often then. <laughs> yeah, although I think it'd be very stressful if we, if we disagreed on every show, to be honest. About the same topic. Oh. Well, then, you know, because at times, though, we're, mm. we're really not very professional at all on this show. <laughs> what do you mean? Actually, it's probably my fault most of the time anyway. We, we, yeah, we talk a lot in the beginnings, and we know that, and we have that even in our survey. But some people tend to like it. We, yeah, la- we laugh a but, lot. But sometimes I'm a bit mischievous. Mm. And there was one time in particular um, I was very mischievous, and um, we corpsed um, at the beginning of the show. We couldn't compose ourselves. And if you don't know what corpsed means, uh, this is it. Helping you break down silos, here are your hosts, James Royal Lawson and Pear Axeboom. Hello and welcome to UX Podcast, episode 36. You're White listening. rabbits. Why, what? White, white rabbits. White rabbits. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the first of March. I don't know what that means. Well, the, first, the, f- the first thing you've got to say on the first of the month is white rabbits. Where's that from? It just is. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> but, but, but my mom. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> this is not a good way to start a show. We are <coughs> okay. Got, right, no, it's perfectly okay, Pat. Uh, I'm Jim. So Robert, it's, the, it's the first of and the you're month. Pat I'm Pat Axbell. I'm Pat That's mm. right. And it's the first of March. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> oh wow! This is going to be a bad show. <laughs> so, yeah. Composure. I actually can't listen to that clip without no, getting I, tears. Again, actually. yeah. <laughs> I'm amazed that we decided to keep that. It's, it's fine. <laughs> Sorry, Pa. <laughs> I shouldn't spring those things on you no. like that. Funny thing is, I, I, I talk to other people, and people just say rabbits. They don't say white rabbits, is what I learned. Maybe oh. that's your family thing. It could well mm. be. <laughs> but you think about it every month now, don't you? I do. Mm. I do. <laughs> <laughs> another, another thing, I think, with a, the with a podcast is, is um, how... How humbled I get when people come up to us or, or give feedback to us and say mm. that they listen to the show and that they, they find it oh, useful yeah, and because good. Even though we have stats and we see that there are downloads, we don't even, you don't know that people are listening. People could just be downloading and not listening. I, I mean, I have no idea. But when people start actually coming up to us at conferences, at events, and or even on Twitter and just saying that was a great last show. I mean, that's that's the feedback you want. I don't like stats. I like these emotional feedbacks. And um, one of the ones that really amazed me, and I, we were talking about it earlier, mm. you and I, and we don't know if we should believe him or not. Oh, yeah, because we're, we're, just, we're just two guys who... We're just, just sitting here in, in our bubble and talking. Just tell us, tell people what we think. I mean, we're, we know, we're nothing special in that sense. But. Yeah. And someone we think is pretty special is, is, is Jared Spool. And uh, when we interviewed him, this is what he said. Oh, I'm a big fan. I've been listening to you guys for years. So uh, I'll admit I often listen to you at the gym. It's not unusual that I, that, uh, I find myself uh, uh, either mumbling under my breath or stopping my routine to take some note about something I want to write about later because of something you've said. 
<laughs> one of the things is I have this mental picture of Jared Spool in like a white training vest or something in shorts. That's what I'm thinking as well. I'm oh. thinking of him sitting in yeah. that rowing machine yeah. at the gym and yeah. listening to us. But that's that's crazy. Just I've thinking never, that I've never slept again. <laughs> I have sleepless nights. <laughs> oh, but it is it's, it's crazy. Um, that kind of feedback. Yeah, to think that Jared's taking notes based on what we're saying, which is really crazy. You're completely crazy. Mm. Things may not be going well for his company in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but we do say some smart stuff, I think. Over the course of the years, well, I've realized that, yes, we, we've come to some great insights. We've talked to some amazing well, people. That's the thing as well. Yeah. Is, I mean, we've, we've probably had more than... Well, more than half of the shows have been interviews with some really, really smart people. Mm. And, and I've, I've learned an awful lot doing the podcast. Yeah. And keep on learning. And that's, that's what gamifies doing this for me. But even just you and I, and even when we do interviews, we always end with some of the insights that we've learned. And it helps us to put into words and articulate our learnings, uh, which helps us in our client work, I think, in the end as well. It does. I, mm. I use the shows as mm. examples and, and share the links um, in, in my work as well. Yeah. But I do find it, that's been one of the things I've realized, I think I mentioned at the start of the show as well, that going through some shows now and listening back to stuff, I'm realizing, God, I've forgotten some really yeah. good stuff. I mean, there's some excellent little bits of insight and, and learnings, teach some things I've been taught by excellent guests and discussions that we've had, and I've not applied them in my work. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I really should have done that. I knew I should have done that. I got told I should be doing that, and yeah. then I didn't do it. So my kind of question now going forward for the next mm. four years is how do we get better at onboarding, at absorbing all these insights? I know, it's it's the same. I mean, even if you go to a conference, you, you're thinking, I need to employ this in my everyday work. And you, you don't. You, mm. you tend to forget about it. Uh, the trick is to write it down, I think. You need to write it down and have it on the wall. That's the only way you can remember stuff that you're not... If you want to make something into a habit, you need to start making it into a habit by doing it. That's the only way. I'd like to point out now for all of you <coughs> listeners that are driving while listening to the show, that per doesn't mean you should write it down now while driving. <laughs> Please pull over to take notes. We actually have a fair no- number of people who uh, n- mentioned to us that they actually listen to us on their drive to the way, way mm. on the way to their work. So, yeah. Uh, so thank you for um, um, joining us in this celebratory hundredth episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing, and it's. We're not, it's not only episode 100, it's four, it's four years, years. Four years. Almost, almost on the day. The yeah. yeah, fantastic. Um, and we're going back to the conference that started at all for the next show as well, UXLX. Yep, 2015 in Portugal. Mm. Um, this um, episode has been supported by Loop11. So if you go to um, loop11.com slash UXpodcast, um, that's loop11.com slash UXpodcast podcast or one word there ux podcast then you can get yourself a free um full-featured usability test yeah you really should try that out i've, I've done it and you can also if you're doing swedish testing uh have a localized version the um the show notes and there's going to be quite a few links to old episodes and we really strongly recommend you listen to some <laughs> of the full episodes because the clips that we've done are mm. just the tip of the iceberg for the mm. great conversations that lie behind them so they'll be all there in the show notes and um, you um, can find us and give us feedback, however you fancy. Phone numbers, Twitter, loads of different places. Facebook. Whatever, whatever tickles your fancies. Fancy, yeah. 
Alrighty We've been then. your hosts, James Roy Lawson and Per Axboom. Mm-hmm. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Hank Hill, I can't believe you're still doing a podcast. Hey, this is Russ Unger. Congrats on making 100 episodes of UX Podcast. I can't believe you're still doing it. Fantastic work, guys. Happy birthday to you. UX Podcast. Have a good one. This is Lisa. Bye. Hey, James and Parr. This is Jared Spool. Just calling in to wish you a happy 100th episode and a happy 4th birthday. You guys have been fantastic. Keep up the good work. It's always great to listen to the show. And it was fun being on the show, too. Which, by the way, you still owe me that 100 krona. Hey guys, Dirt here. Wanted to say congrats on your 100th episode and uh, here's to 100 more. We're very proud of you, children. (laughs) Happy 100th episode from the Dirt and we wish you 100 great more. Hundred great more? Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> hey guys, just wanted to say happy one hundredth episode from the dirt, and we wish you a hundred great more episodes. Also, happy fourth birthday. That's a no, big achievement. Too. Fucking hell. Hundred great more? hundred great more episodes. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> hey guys, just wanted to say happy one hundredth episode from the dirt. Happy fourth birthday as well. And I cannot begin to this tell you. This is ridiculous. This is we're podcasters. We should be able to do better. Than it's this. taken us like eighteen takes to say congratulations. So you guys are the pros. We are just the complete amateurs here. Congratulations. It is video. Good job. Yeah.